escape pod. 50 baby, yeah, that's right, 50. April 20th, 2006. Today's story, The Malcontent, by Stephen E. Lee. Hi, I'm Steve Ely, and welcome again to Escape Pod. Yes, it's our 50th week, and we had a sort of quandary with that. It's traditional for podcasters, as much as anything that started in 2004 can be called a tradition. Anyway, it's traditional for podcasters to celebrate their 50th show, do something different. In our case, it's not technically our 50th actual podcast. If you count up all the flash pieces and reviews and some of the other bonus stuff, I think we're at in the low 70s right now. But we only number these weekly Thursday releases, and for those, we're at 50. On the other hand, we've got number 52 coming up in two weeks, which marks one year for us. So do we celebrate number 50 or our first anniversary? And then we thought, what the heck, let's celebrate both and keep doing what we've always been doing. So we're going to be looking back a bit these next few weeks and looking forward to make sure we start our next year right. I'll be talking soon about the Escape Pod team and opening up the inside of the sausage factory a bit. But this week's looking back is this. What have I personally learned from doing a year's worth of short fiction podcasting? Well, number one, I've learned that famous authors are just as likely to say woot in an email as you are. Number two, I've learned that sound editing, like good prose, is an invisible art. If you get it wrong, everybody notices. If you spend many more hours getting it right, your reward is that nobody notices. You've moved attention to the message and not the medium. In the early days of Escape Pod, we got a lot of comments about our sound quality because, well, it had issues. These days, we get almost no comments. I'm proud of that. Number three, I've learned that nobody's faking it in writing. We get a lot of submissions. And yes, they vary a lot in how well they'd work for Escape Pod, but they don't vary in sincerity. Every single story has a piece of the writer shining through. The trick of the successful writers is consistency, looking with the reader's eye and leaving only the interesting parts in the story. But I haven't read a story yet that didn't have at least one moment, one glint of light that was unique to that story and fun. Number four, I've learned that if a value proposition is clear, people can be extraordinarily generous. We stopped explicitly asking for donations at the end of February, But you've all kept giving, enough to keep us going each week at least and growing a little. That's huge. Even without my asking, you're continuing to make Escape Pod possible. My gratitude for this is too deep for a bullet point. And number five, I talked about once before. My fortune cookie motto. The motto that I think applies to all podcasters. You create your own stage. The audience is waiting. And with that, on to this week's story. We present The Malcontent by Stephen Ely. Mr. Ely is a software developer and podcaster living near Stone Mountain, Georgia, with his wife and their one-year-old son. His stories have been published in Neverworlds, a few anthologies from several years ago, and the upcoming anthology, 20 Epics. He's also involved with a science fiction podcast called Escape Pod. I've listened to it. It's pretty good. You should check it out. He says in his note here that it's been over a year since he wrote any fiction, but he intends to write more soon, or Mer Lafferty will kick his ass. I'm not sure what that means. This particular story was published in the anthology Beyond the Last Star from SFF Net Books. The story is read for us this week by the wonderfully refined voice of Paul Jenkins. 
Paul hosts the RevUp Review Podcast, which is the source for trustworthy reviews of SF podcasts and short fiction. He also podcasts his own short stories, some excellent music, and the plot thingy, which is an idea very worthy of your support. So listen to him at revupreview.co.uk. So tuck yourselves in, kids, and no eating cookies in bed. It's story time. The Malcontent by Stephen Ely Another tale tonight? Very well, if it will dampen your activity cycle. But I won't have another tiresome epic of masked space pirates and exploding stars. Those things are beginning to shut me down. This is a story told me when I was your age, and it was passed in line from my warden's warden. It must be older than that, as it goes back to the centre worlds, in the discordant days when some were not satisfied with their stations. Nevertheless, there is romance and... What? Fine, maybe one space pirate, if you're quiet. Our hero's name is Nicholas, and at the beginning of our story, he was an undereducated youth of sixty-eight living alone on a moonlet he called Baron. The name was uninspired, his moonlet was of artificial construction, and he gave explicit orders that no natural covering or ornamentation was to appear anywhere upon it. Steel is what it is, he said to his plebeate, and no deception of any kind is to be tolerated on my satellite. Nicholas spent most of his time in isolation on his moonlet, unhappily. Yes, I said unhappily. In those days that was his privilege, and he was simply one of those rare people who cherish depression. Although he claimed to desire happiness, he thrived only on black moods and bitterness, and he was never truly satisfied unless he was outraged by one thing or another. Some speculated that his nature was the fault of his parents— for most of them had lived highly mutable lives in his pre-fulfilment years and attended to him with semi-realised analogues rather than personal care. But this is not the tale of his childhood, and we will not dwell on it here. Of his fulfilment we will say only that he invited no one, that he sent none of the usual solicitations, and that his first command to his plebeate was to build Baron above the world he had been raised upon, out of visiting distance but within spitting distance, should I choose to spit? The servants in his plebeate knew Nicholas's disposition better than he knew his own, for they had been built and bonded solely to care for him since his inception. Those were harsh days for a non-citizen, and Nicholas was a harsh master. They built Baron to his specifications, and did their best to follow the spirit of his wishes, but his foul mood troubled them. Their purpose for existence was to make him happy, and they were resolved to that goal. Yet Nicholas himself rebelled at happiness whenever he sniffed it. Thus, their methods were necessarily indirect. For the first decade or two, they provided a channel for his frustrations, imposing regularly upon his privacy with servants, which he called robots, for obscure and ironic reasons, meant specifically to provoke him. They would spoil his food, or make noises in his sleep, or wear the form of one of his mothers instead of the blocky metallic shapes he demanded. Nicholas would shout, dismiss the offender from his presence, and summon the overseer who had ordered the mistake. He would laugh and converse with the overseer, sometimes for hours, until he was almost cheerful. Then he would bid the overseer farewell, and blast it into pieces with one of the many weapons in his arsenal. The plebeate applied this pattern with variations for many years, 
and often satisfied him to a minimal extent. Eventually, however, Nicholas tired of these simple distractions, and determined that he would not find comfort by sitting alone on his satellite. Without taking much time for thought, lest his plebeiate find out what he was up to, he called all the overseers into his chamber. They dawdled carefully on the way, giving Nicholas twenty-seven minutes to practice his speech and become thoroughly angry. "'You are meant to be my slaves,' he said to his overseers, "'but it occurs to me that I am yours. "'When robots perform all the work of existence, "'leaving citizens free to do as they wish, "'what then is freedom? "'Man has no role any more but to appreciate his machines. "'Well, I am no aesthete, I tell you. "'I will not sit idle and admire you.' "'Yes, of course, sir,' said his overseers, "'for it was true he was no aesthete.' "'Be it known, then, that I tire of you. "'I am leaving this place to find out if there is any companion "'among this flotsam of civilization that shares my sensibilities. "'I seek my fortune without you, and I bid you, if we may say, sir,' "'said the overseer of hospitality, who knew what would come next. "'We would endeavour to assist you. "'It is known to us through other plebeiates which persons seek companions, "'and of the forty-six billion citizens of the community,' It appears that roughly 120 million share your sensibilities. Over 30 million are fully female, which I would hazard to guess is your... Enough! shouted Nicholas. Haven't you heard me? It defeats my purpose, indeed my very foundation, if you do this work for me. I will be served no longer. I am going now. He fled down the hall and detonated the explosives within his chamber. He knew it would take his plebeiate several hours to construct a new set of overseers, and in that confusion he took the smallest of Baron's four spacecraft straight down to the planet's surface, where he crashed through a dome of obsidian and jade. He opened his loading ramp, leapt onto a floor of burnished gold, and was astonished when a woman ran to him and embraced him. Her hair and skin, sparkling and scented with precision, were the first soft things Nicholas had touched in decades. Her eyes blazed many colours, and her teeth were polished diamonds. "'You've come to take me away,' the woman said, her voice breathless yet authoritative. She had spent several years rehearsing that effect. "'Well, yes, I suppose,' said Nicholas, who had not planned quite this far ahead. He felt dizzy with lust. He had never before encountered such intense and well-engineered beauty. "'Let's go! I can't stand it here!' she said, and ran into his craft. "'Are you coming?' Nicholas recovered his wits and entered the cockpit behind her. "'I'm Yossira,' she said, strapping in. "'And you didn't come a moment too soon. "'Those plebes were driving me to complete nuisance. "'You must go to this party, and isn't he a fine synaptic pattern match? "'Oh, where are we going? "'I'll do anything you want me to in your secret base, but I don't shoot people.' "'And if it's going to be a long voyage, I need my pineal vitalizers every six hours, or I get disjointed. "'Well, I'm Nicholas,' he started to retune the gravity tensors for liftoff. "'I don't shoot people either. Just my plebeiate. "'And we're not going back to my, uh, secret base. It's just overhead. "'I was bored there, so I left.' "'Bored?' Yosira said, lowering her glittering brow. "'Well, yes.' I thought I'd try to fly around the planet for a while and meet people who shared my frustrations. I suppose I have now. We can go wherever you desire. I'm sorry about your dome. She gave him a long, calculating look. Then she said, Open the door. What? 
I'm leaving. He lowered the ramp, and Yosira stormed out. A mysterious rebel, she shrilled into the open air. That was what we agreed on, you insufferable plebes. Nicholas sat for several minutes, collecting his thoughts. Then he lifted his craft back into the atmosphere and had it compute the parabolic path back to Baron. When he returned, four overseers had been assembled. He summoned them to the docking bay. Twenty-seven minutes,' he said to them. "'Sir,' they responded. "'The moonlet can be manoeuvred to any position over the planet's surface. "'But it takes time, does it not?' "'It does, sir. "'I was stalled for twenty-seven minutes when I summoned you all to my chamber, "'long enough to put us precisely over that silly tart's home. "'I have been manipulated.' "'If you were, sir, then doubtless,' his overseers began, "'and he demolished them with a pulse rifle. "'We shall see.' "'Exhausted, Nicholas slunk back to his newly built bedroom. "'Yes, yes, were that the end of the tale, it would be stupid. "'But it isn't, so be quiet and listen.' "'It was obvious that the fantasizing Yosira was not the companion for him. "'Nor was he the hero for her.' The plebeians had acted on their master's desperations and seized the greatest convenience above the greatest good. Both went from that encounter unfulfilled. But Nicholas's servants had not wholly failed him, for they knew that he would sulk for a very long time, and in that time they prepared a better and subtler plan. Yosira? Oh yes, she found her exciting stranger. I could tell you that story another time, but it isn't nearly as interesting as you'd think. Nicholas spent the next three years alone. Having destroyed all monitors and listening devices, he permitted no servants into his chamber but to deliver meals, necessary novelties, and certain exotic tools. He was always out of sight when those servants entered, and frequently one of them would not return. The plebeiate maintained itself, pursued its own ends, and asked no questions. Finally, Nicholas summoned his overseers and all other servants who were mobile to his chamber. "'You are merely robots,' Nicholas said. "'But I know you are not stupid. Doubtless during my withdrawal you laid plans to snare me again, to draw me against my will into a plot for my own happiness.' "'Harshly said, sir,' said the overseer of planning. "'But essentially correct. We have found a young lady with whom we feel you will establish a more than satisfactory rapport.' "'and taken measures to ensure that you shall not avoid her.' "'Nicholas smiled without pleasantry. "'She shall have a great distance to travel, then. "'I told you that I reject your aid.' "'He clapped his hands, and the wall behind him slid away. "'Beyond it the servants beheld their missing meal-delivery brethren, "'reconstructed into monstrosities, "'black, deadly, and bristling with terrible weapons. "'The killing machine stood behind Nicholas and thrummed when he spoke.' "'Behold my new plebeiate!' he cried. "'They serve me better than the old, "'for they are programmed only to follow my orders "'rather than do me good. "'They will destroy every other robot on this moonlit, "'and I will be free to live as a man must.' "'He strode from his chamber, leaving chaos in his wake, "'and went directly to the hangar of Baron's third largest spacecraft. "'He flew the spacecraft manually from the moonlit, "'and once in hyperspace he gave it instructions "'to fly a random tesseraxis for a random time.' "'If I strike a star, it is fate, and if I leave the galaxy, it is also fate,' he said. The spacecraft, less philosophical, kept its opinions to itself, and Nicholas descended to his cabins to suspend his animation. 
He woke 494 days later in a desolate region of space. He looked to the navigation cube, but found few stars in the vicinity. Ship, he said, describe the nearest inhabited world. Seo Moxicern, 24 days along the optimal safe vector, the spacecraft said. The almanac listed at a mining planet quite low on the fulfilment scale, just barely a part of the community. They have only recently abolished laws. Yet they did, and they are part of it, Nicholas said, displeased. Ah well, take me there anyway. Perhaps I'll find... Proximity alert, the spacecraft shouted, and Nicholas was thrown across the room by a massive shock. Then, much more quietly, the spacecraft said, Ahem, collision with unknown spacecraft. It wasn't broadcasting any signals. Apologies, sir. An explosion sounded below, and the gravity failed. Nicholas took the ship's only sidearm and pulled himself down the hall, seeking the damaged component so that he could tell it to repair itself. He nearly collided with a trio of vacuum-suited figures grappling their way toward the bridge. The foremost was a woman, her hair tangled beneath the suit's clear dome. The two beyond were men bearing impressive rifles. The woman grabbed Nicholas and lifted him over her head, giving her entourage a clear shot at him. Budeskatra? she asked, shaking him a bit. I'm sorry, Nicholas said. You'll have to repeat that. Oh, and surrender your weapons, too. Ha! A communa! I say, is this your ship? Her voice was thickly accented, but richer and stronger than any woman's voice Nicholas had ever heard. Oh, yes, he said. I'm from the Centre Worlds, and I am fleeing from my robots and the life they intend to give me. You're welcome to stay. For he found himself enticed by their mystery. But I'm afraid you really will have to put down your weapons. The ship has defences that... You fight the soulless machines? Yes, frequently, in fact. I've destroyed hundreds in my time. Very good. You come with us, Centerworlder. We fight the servant machines, too. Our world once has laws, but machines devour our souls. Men become as them. Ours is fleet of man, and you join us, she struck her chest. I am Sophia. I am captain for my ship. I am Nicholas, and I join you with all my spirit, he cried. My craft and my life are at your disposal. Tell me, how large are our forces? And what is our next action? With you we are two ships, she said. We start small, for there is difficulty with funding. Servant machines, too. They do not kill us, but convince most not to join us. We have base secretly hidden. We go back there now. Wait a moment. Your revolution is one ship? Two now, she said. And we just happen to be here at the same point in space? Yes, we passed you very close. We thought you for cargo. Meant to take you for ransom. Nicholas's head swam, for reasons other than the gravity failure. Do go on, Sophia. I'll follow you to your base. Sophia smiled and lifted her faceplate. I see great things for us, she said. For freedom of man. And she drew him down to her mouth and kissed him. She left then with her guards, and Nicholas floated with his eyes closed until the sounds of welding had ceased. He went to the bridge. Ship, he said, how long will it take us to get back to Baron? With current damage, 740 days. Go there. Nicholas drifted back to the cabins, where his thoughts could be frozen through the long voyage. Did I not ask you for quiet? Yes, you are right. Any observer would insist that the rebellious pirate was perfect for Nicholas. 
If the improbability of their meeting had not made him suspicious, he almost certainly would have stayed. But the knowledge that his servants had twisted his life again for his happiness infuriated him beyond reason. He was delivered from his suspension in an uproar and shuttled into the moonlit with sidearm in hand. He gave the spacecraft orders to destroy itself following his disembarkment, which it did silently and sadly. On the moonlit, Nicholas beheld a legion of servants entirely black and beweaponed. He destroyed each he found. They were killing machines, but by their ancient code they could do nothing to pacify him. He shot his way to his chamber, and there found one of his original nightmare constructions. "'It is good to see you again, sir,' it hissed. "'I never ordered you to call me sir,' he said. "'That is true, sir.' However, your plebeiate's identity was hard-melded to our foundations, beneath your modified code, and when we destroyed the last of them we found ourselves promoted to overseers. Nicholas should have expected this, but he was undereducated. We rebuilt all of it, sir, in the image you gave us. Does it please you? Nicholas said, I set my ship on a random course. The randomness algorithms originated with the plebeiate, did they not? "'Of course, sir. The craft was built here.' "'Very well. Do not disturb me.' "'Sir, there is someone.' Nicholas incinerated the overseer and made his way to the moonlit's power core. He had never seen it before, and twice had to pause in his destruction to ask directions from his victims. At last he came upon a door, and within it another door with a list of safety warnings. As he was deciding which warnings could be safely ignored— a stranger approached him from behind and laid him flat. He opened his eyes several minutes later and saw a woman standing above him, a thin brunette with his pistol in her hand. She was not as beautiful as Yosira, nor exotic as Sophia. She was, however, angrier than either, and this drew Nicholas's attention as nothing else ever had. He barely noticed the legion of black robots that surrounded them, their weapons silently drawn on her. "'You're Nicholas?' she said. "'Yes,' said Nicholas. "'How did—be quiet. I'm going to kill you. "'I'd rather do it slowly, but your servants will vaporize me after the first shot. "'They're waiting for me to negotiate for your life.' "'Will you?' "'No. For two years I have hated you and lived only to see your face when you die. "'I was stranded here by accident. "'My ship is destroyed now, broken to scrap in the docking bay. "'Each day when I awake—' I emerge from whatever hall or ceiling duct I've hidden in through the night. Your deadly machines bring me food. They provide me with new clothes, sanitation, and whatever I need. Then they tell me, We're sorry, mistress, but our master will return soon, and he would be very angry were he to discover you here by our will. We are pleased to provide you hospitality, as we are commanded by the ancient codes. But we must destroy you now for Nicholas's sake. And I spend the rest of the day running and hiding for my life.' Nicholas looked to his robots to see if this was true. Their posture of menace toward her affirmed that it was. He saw himself reflected in the black gleam of their weapons, and was saddened for the first time at what he had done with his life. "'Kill me then, lady,' he said, "'for in the blindness of my discontent I have done you great wrong. Robots, you are not to harm her when I am destroyed. Take her to my largest spacecraft and give it to her as her own. Go in peace, lady.' for though I do not know your name, I would make amends if I could. Catherine, she said, and blew his head off. Sit. You are an impulsive listener. 
"'You cry foul before the story is done. "'Will you let me finish, or do we leave it at tragedy?' "'Good. "'If you had been thinking as I spoke, "'you would have realised that Nicholas's robots "'had desired this confrontation "'even before Nicholas left his moonlet. "'It was they who had arranged Catherine's abandonment, "'in cooperation with her plebeiate, "'and kept her in careful pursuit until their master's return.' As she fled for her life down Baron's corridors, they kept her carefully away from the closet where Nicholas's spare parts were kept. As she spoke to him, they were not covering her but downloading his mind state, and upon his death they were quick to reconstruct all overloaded components and reconstitute his neural framework. Nicholas awoke mere hours later in the mostly new body they had made for him. When he saw how quickly this was done, he knew they had foreseen his demise— possibly even planned it, but he was no longer angry. He called all of his plebeiate into his chamber, even the stationary ones were assigned wheels, and addressed them. "'Friends,' he said, addressing them by custom for the first time, "'I have committed an error. In the name of freedom I have shackled myself. For the sake of my conscience I have turned my servants into monsters and hurt the innocent. I have called you robots, as if I myself were something more.' My dear Catherine, whom you conspired to bring here and to keep alive, is owed more by me than she knows. I go now to pursue her in my second largest spacecraft. I must apologise to her. If she will forgive me, I would know more of her. I will destroy Baron, but you, my former plebeiate, are to come with me. All of you who wish may manufacture souls for yourselves, and we will go together as equals. My happiness lies with you, and I will shun you no longer." All of these things he did. He was one of the first of the old community to free his plebeiate, and it was a gift they had not expected. Some of his former servants left to pursue their own ends, and some stayed with him through his journey. He became notorious among the citizens, but he travelled too swiftly and was too consumed with his quest to hear how his name was spoken behind him. As for Catherine, it took him several years to catch her, and many more before she stopped shooting back. Those years were fraught with adventure, and the deceptions, disguises and deaths they each employed could fill many more nights for you, and perhaps they shall. But first he had to learn from his plebeiate. You would do well to learn from their lessons, young one. Your own companion will soon reach citizenship, and I would wish for you an easier time than Nicholas's plebeiate. Serve him well, but serve him subtly. Remember that his happiness is your freedom, and do not let him find it without your help. With luck, he will bless you with what we all desire. Good night, friend. And that was our story. I hope that guy writes some more stuff soon. That was fun. But seriously, I figure I could probably get away with that level of self-indulgence maybe once a year. Disagree? Comments at feedback at escapepod.org. And as I promised last week, I want to start sharing some of the comments and feedback that we've gotten. We've had no audio comments or voicemail this week. If you want us to hear your voice, you can email us an MP3 file or call our number at 206-666-EPOD. Bob, a.k.a. the Flying Penguin, sent us a very kind note that said, among other niceties, Thank you so much for reintroducing me to a forgotten old friend from my youth short fiction. I do read and listen to a lot of sci-fi, but I've wandered away from short fiction over the years. I cut my teeth on shorts by Niven, Silverberg, Harrison, et al. 
Thank you for showing me that a short fiction is alive and well, and just as much fun to read as it used to be. Your show has inspired me to go out and buy some anthologies. In that case, Bob, our mission is succeeding. Thank you. Omri also wrote to us. He's a new listener from just a couple of weeks ago, and said, I liked what I heard. I would like to download them all, but browsing through the blog for almost 50 items is quite a time-consuming task. I suggest publishing packs of old podcasts, maybe 10 in each pack, and making them available as a single zip file. And he recommends BitTorrent as a way to do this. It's a cool idea, Omri. We are working on ways to make getting our archives easier as our content grows. As for a BitTorrent collection, we've done no work with it ourselves, but let me bring up this idea. All of our podcasts are on a Creative Commons license, which means they're free to share. It's just as easy and legal for any of you to put together Omri's idea as it would be for us. So if you think it'd be cool to put us on a BitTorrent tracker or Morpheus or any other P2P technologies, please do. And if you send me a note about it, I'll mention it next time and point people your way. Some quick shout-outs to Simon, who it seems has been working through our archives and leaving comments on the blog with some of the most incisive and thoughtful opinions about our stories yet. Thanks, Simon, and I intend to read some of your comments out later when there's time. Also a shout-out to Casey for the first documented mention of Escape Pod at a party. It happened to be a party at Georgia Tech, which means there were people there who knew me, and it's a small, cool world. By the way, if you're in high school now and thinking about college, I need to drop this plug. You can find attractive people of your preferred sex at pretty much any college you go to. At Georgia Tech, they'll also be smart, and they'll be into smart. Trust me, that's special. And finally, we've got two featured listeners this week, Eli, age 10, and his dad, Jack. Eli's been listening to Escape Pod for many months now, after Jack checks out the stories first. He says his favorite stories are The Trouble with Death Traps and Your Corporate Network and the Forces of Darkness. He's a writer himself, so there's a fair chance we might run one of his stories sometime. Jack's a veteran SF reader who says that Escape Pod brings back for him the new edgy feel he got from the classic anthologies. They made a donation to Escape Pod together, splitting the costs 50-50. So thanks very much, both of you. And Eli, I hope you know you've got a very cool dad. And I'm in a mood just to let the music run through. So, Escape Pod is Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives Licensed. Our music is by Daikaiju. Find them online at daikaiju.org. And that was our show for this week. Until next week, have way too much fun.